Hello, everyone. Derek here before the episode to relay an important message. When Hunter and I devised the idea to do this show, we had two goals in mind. To get together and have a fun conversation once a week, and to offer some mindless entertainment to allow whoever may listen the chance to forget about their problems and have a good time for an hour or so. But given the current situation, we feel it necessary to use what little platform we have to make a statement and share our support. We will never come close to knowing the feelings of injustice that African Americans face, brought about by ignorance, intolerance, and a system which, at its core, is designed to oppress people of color with impunity. We will, however, do what we can to stand alongside the African American community, our fellow Americans, and our fellow human beings in the fight to achieve true liberty and justice for all. A fight that will not stop until this system, this government, and this country see some major change. If you would like to join the fight against injustice, I've included a link in the episode's description to a page with dozens of organizations to donate to, phone numbers to call, and petitions to sign, so that you can include your voice when we, as one people, get together to say, Black Lives Matter. Last night I called out Tyler for not for not listening to the most recent episode because we were talking about Avatar, and he was like, "Wait, you haven't talked about book three yet?" And I was like, "Oh, that's because Derek and I texted about it." And I was like, "I feel like the worst person." Dummy. Ever. He told me he said, "Next time I see you, I'm gonna punch you in the throat." <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It'll be a couple months from now. He won't. Uh, he won't know. Yeah. Okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 19 of Quarter Life Crisis. I'm your host, Drac, the man who needs no introduction but is giving himself one anyway. Uh, I'm joined, as always, with my lovely co-host, the star of an upcoming NBC sitcom, The Young and the Brainless, Hunty. How you doing, man? It's actually, it might have been the nicest intro you've ever given me. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing pretty, pretty good for myself. I've, uh, my family has thrown about two thousand dollars into into the truck in a in about two weeks, in a two weeks time. So, um, hopefully, it doesn't break anytime soon. Well, yeah, you need that truck to uh, you need that truck to get yourself uh, to what is that a, like a seven hour drive up to Buffalo? Uh, from College Park, yeah, it's about seven. <laughs> Gross. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, some speaking of things you shouldn't be doing while driving, Hunter, what are you drinking tonight? You don't? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so today, I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everyone, I'm kidding. Um, today, I'm drinking a, a double cannon from Heavy Seas because I need to get rid of them out of my fridge. Um, but I also have my second beer is from Great Lakes Brewing Company. It's called Commodore Perry India Pale Ale. I don't know what it Ooh, means, delicious. what it tastes like, but it's they're usually good, so whatever. Something a little sad, though. I could I could only see in your little video, I could only see like the neck of the bottle, and I could tell by the label on the neck what beer you were drinking. So I should probably stop drinking beer. Um, me, myself, though, I'm not drinking beer. I have another High Lie from Cigar City. Um, it's just a good go-to um, JLA, uh, as Maggie Fritz calls it. So um, uh, let's get this puppy pop. I hate when you do this. Why? I do it's it every just, time. I hate ASMR. Um, this isn't really a topic, but one thing I just needed to mention. Um, did I tell you about how my, uh, how my car wouldn't start last week? Yes, you did. You're a big dummy. Yeah. Um, so for so the viewers listening... Um, I needed to go, well, this is, this was a saga. I needed to go to the grocery store 
And so um, I was parked on the street in my neighborhood and I went to find it. And my neighborhood is actually very bad with parking. It's it's very difficult to find a spot. I drove around for about 20 minutes last night trying to find a spot Can and confirm. eventually parked kind of illegally, but not really. Um, but I got in and my car wouldn't start. And I'm like, oh no. So I tried to, I tried to uh, turn the engine a few more times and it just, it just wouldn't work. So I got out and I saw this woman stop behind me and she rolled down her window. She goes, oh, are you not leaving? And I was like, oh no, I, I meant to, but my car's not starting. And I was going to ask her um, if she could jump me, but she just looked at me and went, God, parking around here is horrible and sped off. <laughs> so I'm like, thanks. Baltimore, greatest city in America. So I called my parents and I was like, I don't know what to do. And they're like, it's probably someone with the battery. Just jump it. I'm like, okay. So I called my roommate and he ended up jumping and it was fine. And uh, I drove down to the grocery store. I drove back and it was, it was cool. It was cool. So I parked in the garage and then the next day I was like, I was going to leave the house and I was like, God, I really hope my car starts. And I opened my garage and in the darkness of my garage, before I opened up the garage door, um, I could see that there an overhead light was left on in my car. So for about four days, this car, this light was on absolutely destroying my battery. <laughs> and it's because I haven't driven my car at night in like three months. It's not my fault. I mean, I am an idiot. Well, no, no, it's, it still is your, it's still your fault, man. It, but uh, long story short, it's fine. The battery got charged back up. We're, we're sitting pretty. I, I want you to know because of that story, I made an entire Jeopardy category based on car parts today i hate you i'm I'm gonna i guarantee you i'll lose because i'm not good at it well you might get one of them i don't know (laughs) okay um all right jumping into the first real topic of the the episode uh i would say that one of my favorite um things to see every year what are the animated movies that specifically disney is coming out with okay wouldn't you agree yeah um, so I decided to look back at our favorite organization, the organized event, the Oscars, and see when they established the best animated picture uh, category, which coincidentally wasn't until 2001. And there yeah, only so there, Shrek was the first one to win, right? Shrek was the very first one to win. So there have only been 19 winners of the uh, Oscar for best animated picture. That's so, because animated movies have been around forever. Yeah. I look back at, I look back at similar stuff and apparently it was like animated shorts. What are always winning? Like, a, like Disney's been winning them since like the the forties. So wait, did they, so does snow white like count as an animated short or did that just, like, I don't, I don't know. I guess they didn't just give an Oscar for me. I don't know. I don't, that's weird. They just didn't have an Oscar for him, but what we're going to do today, because you know how much we love our tier lists. <laughs> we're going to go through all 19, um, winners for best animated feature and do our best to put them in a tier list. You remember I how just, this works? S is the highest, then A, B, D, C, all going all the way down to the bottom. I uh, just want I just want to point out that to anyone who listens to this podcast, Derek, there was just two very different type of reactions because we said the word tier list. There are the people that are your tier list stands who are like, yes, tier lists. And then there are people who absolutely hate when we do this and are like, God, why? So we have Julie and then everybody else who listens to the podcast. So, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. Well, at least this time it is about Marvel and it is about High School Musical. So we're chilling. True. It's different. Okay. So um, starting off with the winner of 2001, uh, as you alluded to, Shrek. Brother, S for Shrek, it's S tier, dude. Um. Dude, no. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. <laughs> no, Shrek, Shrek is the goat of all, uh, of DreamWorks specifically, but of all well, Shrek, uh, animated Have you heard features. the story about how, like, I won't go too long into this, but have you heard about how, like, Shrek saved DreamWorks? No, actually. Essentially, like, DreamWorks was, like, fledgling. It was it was doing, like, fine, but it wasn't going to last very long. And then someone pitched the idea of the William Steger Steig book and was like, we should make this into an animated movie. And then they did, and Shrek now became, like, one of the biggest cultural juggernauts and then it, like, catapulted 
DreamWorks into being this major animation studio. And I read this article and I was like, wow. It's really good for you guys. What I've been I, wondering in the past few years is, um, you know how Shrek has become an absolute, uh, an absolute meme online. Yeah. I, I'm sure that that led to a lot of people wanting to watch it. And I wonder how like how residuals work for these movies. Like the are the animators getting money? I know like the voice actors are probably getting money. Yeah, it's probably. Um, I mean, like the producers and stuff obviously still do because they're like like tied into the company. Right. Right. Um, right. <clears throat> I would I would think like the most of the creative team does. I don't think like your like all your animators would because like that's a lot of people. Um, but they, I mean, it, it might be, depend on like the percentage of how much they get. So like if you were supposed to only get like, you know, uh, like 1% residuals, you might still get them. Mm. <laughs> but if you're doing like, it might be like, oh, you're going to get 10% residuals for like 10 years after the film is released or something like that. I don't know exactly how residuals work. So, but I feel like it, it's not, it's definitely not everybody. There's no way. So I feel like it's definitely the voice actors, probably your directing team or maybe just director and then your producers probably. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, back to it. Um, the next one, I don't know if you've seen this, but, uh, the next one is spirited away by studio no, from studio. Heard, Ghibli. I've never even heard of that. You never heard of, of spirited away. What's it about? God, I, I almost don't want to tell you what it's about because I don't want to spoil it for you. Basically it's this young girl whose parents are moving, uh, to like a small town in the countryside and she's like really upset about it and something happens where they get trapped and they get held captive by an evil witch and they gotta get back. I don't want to tell you too much about it because it's so uh, good. Oh, this looks vaguely familiar but I've never seen it. I you've probably seen, you've probably seen other like clips from Pictures. Studio Ghibli. Um, just going off of what, uh, going off of my opinion, hope you can trust me. I'm just gonna put it in uh, A tier and move along. That's fine. <laughs> you got to watch Spirited Away. It's a really good movie. I, I will add it to my running list. Okay, thanks. Um, 2003 winner, uh, Finding Nemo. Ooh, interesting. Um, I've come to find out that as I've grown up, this movie hasn't aged very well. Well, it was what? Like, it was 2003, you said? So it really came out in 2002? Yeah. I can imagine some of the jokes are probably... Um, but I would... I go B tier for Finding Nemo. Okay, I can put that in B. Yeah, um, I, I was think Finding C, like but... obviously I don't know if Finding Dory won, but Finding Dory was definitely better. Finding Dory did not win surprisingly. Um, what year did that come out in? Doesn't like 16? 16, 17? Yeah, that was up uh, against either Zootopia or Coco, so it wasn't going to win. Oh either. yeah, Coco's <laughs> run away with that. Um, so next we have The Incredibles, which, if you ask me, is one of the best Disney movies of all time. Correct. And I would put that in S tier. S tier. The next one, which I guarantee you, you have not seen, is Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. <laughs> Wait, no, I have seen that movie. Have you? Yeah, no, I is did. Good? <laughs> no. Okay, cool. I've never seen it, so I'm going to trust you. <laughs> I put that in, like, D tier. Cool. It's like claymation, cool, cool. right? Because it's Wallace and Gromit. But I remember, like, seeing this movie when it came out and being like, oh, my God, this looks so weird. And um, But I was also like, what was that, 2005, you said? That, so I, that must have been 2005, yeah. Eight, I turned eight that year. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> Which, I don't know why I saw it, but I remember just seeing it. Like, you know those days where you're just stuck in your house, can't go anywhere because you're eight. Um, and so you're just watching TV. It just popped on. And I was like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. It sucks. Because it was like adapted from the show. Well, I know very little about Wallace and Gromit. So um, weird. I, I, know it's, I know it's like a handyman and a dog or something. It's really weird. Cool. Um, next, we have the 2006 winner, Happy Feet. And Ooh. if I were to give a strong opinion, it is solid C tier. I would agree with that. It's There's not a like, good movie. It's a dumb concept have, for a movie. Does it have a plot? 
It's it's that this penguin um, dances instead of sings, or That's sings amazing. instead of dances. I honestly don't remember. No, no, no. He dances because it's okay. called Happy Feet. <laughs> right, right. And everybody else sings, and he can't sing. Yeah, but so. he's got he he's got some sick moves. I will. He's got say. some happy feet. You know what I'm saying? And get out, get out. <laughs> All right, uh, 2007. Are we in 2007? Yeah, 2007 yeah. winner. Um, Ratatouille. Ratatouille. Um, honestly, oh, oh, I'm between B and A. I think I'm gonna put it in B. Okay. Or I would put it in B, so we'll drop it there. But it's like it's it's. I feel like it's one of those movies that like it's not great, but when you watch it every like couple of years, you're like, this movie's pretty good. Like, I think when you sit back and look at it as from a grand scheme of things, um. It's it's got a, it's obviously got a great message. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's a beautiful message. Uh, not anyone or no, it's like a great cook can come from anywhere or whatever it is. But it's uh, also like you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, exactly, anything. exactly. Yeah. And my boy Linguini is a god. But um, anyways, uh, next up I just, we have. I just, oh. just want to sorry. I just want to picture that in every restaurant I go to, in the back are just rats in people's hats, just cooking for them. I don't want to picture that. Dude, as long as they're not touching the food, is fine. <laughs> Uh, next, I'm gonna go with Wally. Hmm. Mm. I have I have opinions about this movie, but I want to hear yours first. <sighs> Wally. I feel like Wally is so on the nose; it hurts sometimes. Like, because I mean, that's the point of the movie is like mm. stop throwing your trash on like the ocean, but um, and that humans are lazy. But I think honestly, I'm I would go C on that one. Okay, um, I was gonna put it in A tier, but I think we can compromise. I'll put it in B. Okay, fine. Because I, I mean, you know me, I'm a, I'm a crunchy, a crunchy dude. Um, I think the, I think the concept behind it is ingenious. I think the love oh, story, it's be- smart. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the love story between um, Eve and Wally is, is, is very compelling. Even though they're robots and only say like five things, the villain's kind of like creepy. Mm. But um, it's it's uh, I love Wally. Hey, the villain is really humanity. Come on, exactly. It's creepy. Human humans are scary. Um, next up we have Up. Ooh, Up's a really good movie. Uh, I was I would say Up goes A tier. Really, you don't think S? I don't think Up is an S tier category because after the first like fifteen minutes, it's like yeah, the really? first fifteen minutes rips your heart out. Like <laughs> yeah, well, the first fifteen minutes it sets it up to be like the greatest story disney has ever told and then it gets kind of eh. okay so we can go, a. We can go a. yeah I'll, I'll go i'll go with a also i didn't know this until recently um the guy that voices carl fredrickson is is ed asner who plays santa in elf <laughs> so go, go ed asner <laughs> that's a really weird like filmography right there <laughs> right <laughs> um next we have toy story 3 Oh, I'm trying to remember which Toy Story this is. Toy Story is the one. Toy Story three is the one where they go to the daycare and Lotso is the villain. Oh, um, I don't. What do you think? I so Toy Story three is my favorite of the okay. trilogy. Um, <laughs> that being said, I don't want to put it any higher than B tier. Uh, yeah. I mean, I personally like going off of not having seen these in a long time. I like Toy Stories two better, but I think. Mm, it's i would go c on it it's fine okay um you know what i could i could i could be okay with putting it in c the remember thing i remember from toy story 3 is that it was basically toy story 2 but in my opinion the story was told a little better mm. uh, but i can see the arguments <laughs> I mean, on as to why they, toy they story. had a they had a ton of time to think about it. exactly yeah yeah they had a decade and then they went and ruined it with toy story 4 but anyways yeah, we don't talk about that um next up we have rango 
Oh which God, I forgot about this one yeah. best animated picture against who yeah i don't know who was up against that Wasn't year but Johnny like Depp, the voice of rango yeah and it, <laughs> i think i didn't like this movie because it was weirdly adult it was weirdly like yeah, i i didn't like it i i would say put it in c tier but like i would because <sighs> it's not like a terrible movie right so like yeah, it's, it's not, not horrible okay so c's fine yeah c's, all right speaking of horrible fine. movies uh the next winner was brave you know how i like brave i hate brave i think it's a terrible um, movie brave is it's i i think i just have like a weird like scottish highlands type deal going on um and i don't know why but i do me and michael me and michael reminiscing this together but um i don't we can honestly what do you think in d i was gonna put it in d but if you want to put it in c i will fine we can put it in d D. Okay, cool. Put Perfect. There. I am okay with liking trash sometimes. There are uh, people that watch the Kardashians, okay? Yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, we have Frozen. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, wait, mm. Mm. Huh, okay. Well, if Frozen 2 were able to be on this list, Frozen 2 would be S tier, obviously. But, yeah, because it can't be. Frozen, I'm going to say Frozen is... B tier. Okay, I can I can I can put I it's Frozen B in B tier. It could be A, but I think it's B. My least favorite thing we talked about this with the uh, with the Disney bracket, but my least favorite thing is when people say that Tangled is better than Frozen just because That's Frozen was more popular. That's Tangled's funny. a good movie. It is not as good as Frozen. I am Frozen. Sorry. There's a reason that Frozen like took off like Storm. There's a, there's yeah, a and it was because Adina Menzel singing "Let It Go," but also it was well, a great movie. Also, hey. Don't you forget Kristen Bell in that movie? Oh, Kristen! How could I forget my queen? Yeah. Um. Next, and you know how I feel about this: Big Hero Six. <sighs> um. I I remember watching it, but I don't remember too much about it. I assume you want to put it in S tier. You know what? My purse, my my heart wants to put it in S tier. My brain would put it in A tier, though. I'll do that because I think it's a great like. The it's a good movie. Villain, it's really good. Twist villain isn't great. But the store, everything except for the Swiss villain is, is very impressive to me. Mm, mm. Um, next, we have Inside Out. Ooh, a movie I, that I wholeheartedly would put in S tier. I would put that in S tier as well. That that's, was that's a, great a great movie. movie. Um, Amy Poehler is a gem in that movie. Also, um, like, wh- who played, um, who played, what's her name? Angela on The Office. She was a voice of, um, of, she voiced Sadness, I think. No, Phyllis voiced Sadness. Or that's what I meant, Phyllis. Yeah, Phyllis. And and then uh, wasn't wasn't it um wasn't it Kelly? Uh, what, what's her name? What's her name? Um, the girl who played Kelly, Mindy Kaling. Yeah, didn't yeah. she voice disgust? Yeah, uh, I think she might have actually. Actually, <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's Hold a, on, it's oh. a stacked cast. Oh my god! But like, I think one of the things that got me like was just the fact that like um Phyllis's sadness made me so like I I felt so much <laughs> from that character, and it made me just so like. Like not sad, but like sad. Well, Phyllis <laughs> is my Phyllis is one of my least favorite characters on The Office, and just like her she, voice just brings me down. So having her play sadness was a very good choice. Oh my God, Bill Hader was fear. What? And who <laughs> was black? That. Was anger? God, what a <laughs> stack cast. How did they get this money? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, S tier, easy. Alrighty. Uh, next we have Zootopia. I'm gonna go B tier. I would also say B tier. It was a great mm-hmm. movie. I loved the uh, the commentary that it had, but as you said with um, as you said with uh, Wally, a little on the nose. 
a little <laughs> and uh, I, think, I, think, I think what saves zootopia and makes it a b-tier movie is like the fact that its jokes are like r- like it's really funny it might be on the nose but i think like one of the all-time greatest like animated scenes is the sloss at the dmv oh yeah yeah that's, amazing that's a great scene. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so like uh, i think like jokes like that are uh, like, yeah uh, <laughs> the jokes the jokes in it are what's like carry the movie and save it otherwise it'd just be like okay this is a puff piece like i don't really care uh next we have coco that's an S tier. <sighs> what? What? Come on! Come what? I like Coco, dude. I was sorely disappointed by Coco. What? Are you just? Pulling, I watched it like two this, years after yeah, everybody course, else. Okay, did. So you're pulling. You're pulling the Derek. Everyone says it's good, so I should hate it. Look, it's like, not what? even that. It's like everybody said it was good, so I expected it to be the best movie ever, and it wasn't the best movie ever. I think. I would. I am very okay with A tier. I don't so, want to put an S tier. I think like the the thing about it is like they have like the twist villain in it, whereas like you think it's a, what's his name, um, the guy who's actually his actual father. Yeah, yeah, I, or a grandfather, whatever it is. Um, and, it's, and it's his hero. I forget. I forget it. I forget it. Yeah, but like the the hero is like actually evil. Like that twist was kind of like okay, well, whatever. But I think um, number one, it's like the w- animated movies have like been lacking in representation for a long time. Like it's a lot of, you know, with the exception of like Shrek, who's literally green. Um, but, and like, cause th- unless it's a movie where it's like, don't like judge somebody based on the way they look like everybody's white. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that so doesn't I, automatically make doesn't it, make a, it good a good movie. movie, but I think that that deserves to give it some notches. And then I think also just like, it's, I think it's just a wholesome story. That's really good, but I can live with a tier. My, my, my main problem with it is that, um, they say, Fa- most important thing is family more than Michael Bluth in all six, however many seasons of Arrested <laughs> Development. That's, yeah, that's it's a, yeah. so like, hey guys, you get it, you get, get what the we're message. To say here. No, that's that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Think about that that way. Um, but then also, like, I think it's stupid how they preach family that much, and then just like like no one knows that this guy like that was i mean his name is hector is the guy's actual is the yeah. the the grandma's wife or husband i was like don't you think like she would have told somebody like i know yeah. she doesn't talk about him but don't you think it'd just be a known thing yeah like, i don't know i think that's stupid so I, okay i can live with a tier on it okay um next we have i think we're gonna have a general consensus on this spider-man into the spider-verse oh s tier easy easy yes spider-man into the spider-verse is top three favorite movies of all time okay so my question for you about it which spider-man is the best one in that in, movie in, in, Sp- that? in the in the movie like well it's I, it's I between think, the it's between the main three because the other ones don't get enough screen time maybe but i don't know i think based on what you see about the other ones i, I my personal favorite i mentioned spider noir i love spider noir <laughs> um so I, funny. If, if i if i were to um Probably, I'd say Peter B, because um, you don't. The one he, that's, he's the one that's played by Nick from New Girl, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't see you don't see a, an older representation of a whole lot of supervillains like after their prime, and, and I he's feel like obviously going what, through a lot. Yeah, I feel like that's what Peter Parker would be as an as like a forty year old guy. Yeah, yeah, and obviously Miles Miles was incredible. Um, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that him and Gwen don't kiss at the end. Because I was very scared that they were going to at Star Wars. Yeah, really. Um, it, it, that I, everything about that movie is incredible to me, and I love Spider Man, so it makes it even better. And finally, I'm I'm gonna have to take your judgment because I've never seen this movie, Toy Story Four. I actually don't know if I've seen Toy Story Four either. I just know it's bad. 
<laughs> All right, let's put it in C tier and move along. Okay, I just I just heard it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know who to trust because I've also seen good things about it, but I I can. I mean, well, there will always be people that are like, oh, it's Toy Story, Tom Hanks, like uh, yeah, um, Tim Allen, like it's going to be good. I'm like, there was okay, well, no reason. There was no reason to make that movie. Absolutely no, they could have no just reason. left it at three. Because didn't yeah. like in three, like spoiler alert, didn't like Woody like fake die at the end of three? No, I mean they were all in the incinerator, and then they thought they were gonna die, but then they were rescued. Oh, it was just such a it was such a perfect ending to a saga, and then they're just like, oh, we're gonna make another one. That's like no cash grab. Yeah, I hate it. Um, okay, so that's that's all nineteen. Personally, I don't know if this qualified for twenty nineteen uh, nominations, but Frozen Two should be on this list. Did nominations um, for the. Wait. Nominations came out uh, in early January. I looked this up. Nominations came out in early January, uh, but Frozen didn't come out until like November 29th or something. So it might have been too. Yeah, late but they to can. Cut off. No, I think it's films that have come out in December have been nominated before. Well, the fact that it didn't even get a nomination is infuriating. Um, oh, an animated for, feature. Yeah. For twenty. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> That's stupid. Who who's who are the nominations? Wait. So for. Oscar nominations 2020, the complete list. This is best animated feature? Yeah, okay. I'm still looking at it. Toy Story, Klaus, Missing Link, How to Train Your Dragon 3, and I Lost My Body. I've never even heard of Klaus, Missing Link, or I Lost My Body. I heard of, I've heard of Klaus. I've heard of that. That's like... What the heck is that movie? Man, the fact that, the fact that Frozen 2 didn't get a nomination is kind of... Oh, yeah. Weird. Yeah, it's, uh, that's an injustice. But Because uh, I know uh, movies that have released in December before, and like Frozen 2 is before that, movies that have been released in December have been nominated at the Oscars the, the next calendar year. So I don't understand, like, that's... And Frozen 2 is better than Frozen. I'm a Frozen 2 stan. I hate to, I, I mean, I don't 2, hate to say it. I love to say it. I love Frozen 2. It was, it was incredible. Shout out to shout out to my boy uh, my boy Kristoff for getting his uh, boy band moment. Yeah, at not giving Jonathan Groff a song in the first yeah, movie. right. Use <laughs> okay. He was only in Hamilton, like whatever. <laughs> all right. Um, going back over everything that is all nineteen features in D tier we have Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were Rabbit, and Brave. In C tier we have Happy Feet, Toy Story Three, Rango, and Toy Story Four. B tier we have Finding Nemo, Ratatouille, Wally, Frozen, and Zootopia. Excuse me. A, we have Spirited Away, Up, Big Hero 6, and Coco. And in S tier, we have Shrek, The Incredibles, Inside Out, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, that S tier is quite the list of films. That is, that is a sh- solid S tier. I might have to watch. I don't, I don't know what word I was trying to say there. I, don't know. I genuinely just, don't know. A solid. Sh- um, but I'm going to have to watch Spider-Verse after this. Anyways. Of course all right. Are. Cool. Um, hopefully, we get some good. Have you seen Onward? Yes, actually, I have. It was good. It's it not going to win Best Feature. <laughs> was it? It wasn't nominated, though, right? No, I mean, no, no it, it didn't come out until a month ago. Oh, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, but it was good. I, I'm glad I watched I, I it. I'd be it was, surprised if it'll be interesting to see how the Oscars like handle nominations for 2020 based on how like studios release films. Yeah, that's a good point. Wouldn't surprise me based on that if Onward gets a nomination. Yeah, just I don't think that, it deserves to win, though. It was a good movie. I think like, it could be deserve a, deserve a nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. not a win, I don't think. Right, exactly. Okay, um, thank you for that. Moving on, um, we've received some feedback oh, God. from our friends that we should talk about things that we disagree on. All because right. Because it gets some decent discourse. I know where this is going. Um, so... For this week's uh, rendition of Seven Things I Hate About You, we are going to talk about Uncut Gems. I'm just going to put on my... Uh, put, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just I'm getting ready for a fight here, Derek. A movie that 
I watched with with medium expectations because I had seen the critic scores were very high and the audience scores were very low. And I was, even with those medium expectations, sorely disappointed. So uh, I narrowed my uh, my complaints down to seven things, and uh, I know you love this movie. Okay, I don't. I was. I'll go on the record. And say I don't love it. I think it's really good, but I don't love okay, it. Okay, you really like this movie. There are some. It, I have issues with it, but I'm, which I may agree with you on some of these points, but I don't know. Okay, so um, back to it. First of all, the first thing I hate about Uncut Gems, I thought the score was terrible. Yeah, the music was weird. The, the music, music was music like didn't didn't really have a purpose. It was just specifically there. in the in the opening and the ending, it sounded like something out of a bad 1980s sci-fi movie. When it's like swimming through his colonoscopy and it's got that, it sounded horrible. Yeah, the the music I will say is a is a fault of the film. It just like it felt like it had no purpose. Like it was like it why is it? That, I, I talked about this with Joe. It's like the entire movie was set up to to make you feel stressed, and then. I'll get and the music doesn't. The music doesn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It, it, I don't know. The music's just like here's a classical background to this <laughs> stressful like plot. Um, going. I mean, now back like, to the it was elevator music. Yeah. It basically. Yeah. yeah. Going back to the opening. The second thing I hated about Uncut Gems: the opening scene meant nothing. The opening scene at the Ethiopian mine. It meant almost nothing. Um, I think, I think, I think. I don't want to say this is why it happened, but I think the reason we see it is because number one, you learn of what lengths it like people have to go to, to extract those kind of like those kind of rocks, those kind of diamonds. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so that's part of it. But I also think because of the nature of how, and you may touch on this later, but of how Adam Sandler's character talks, um, like just his, his inflection and the way he speaks, I think it like, it helps tie together as to like, okay, so this guy just randomly like came across this stone, but like he obviously it gives a little more context to what he's talking about. So it's like, Oh, I've seen this. I know what this is. So, cause in the first couple in the first like 25 minutes when it's so confusing, um, it kind of like helps tie it together. I agree. Could it have been a little shorter? Probably. It was my a little thing. Long. My whole thing with it is if, first of all, if it wasn't in the movie, I don't think anything would have changed for me. I would have had no other okay. like indication. Like I think the ex- explanation that he gave like about where he got the rock was enough for me because by that point I was like, Oh yeah, they showed that at the beginning of the movie. Then the second thing is like, I don't, it, it doesn't relate, you know, it like, it's I get little, that, it's a little disjointed. It, it does. It very, very barely relates. And like the, I, I thought that there was going to be a lot more drama involved in, like you said, the lengths they go to get to it with the guy in his leg or whatever part of him was, was, it was his leg. Yeah. His leg. Um, and I thought it was going to be something about, uh, about Hector Howard, Hector Howard, 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 Howard like going to Ethiopia. I don't, I don't think, this. I don't think a Jewish New Yorker name is Hector. That's a good point. <laughs> Plus if the movie wasn't called uncut gems, I would have had, zero clue what that scene even came close to meaning until yeah. like 45 minutes into the movie. I, I, I think I agree with you that it could be cut and it would be fine. But I think when you, when you like, I guess, I guess when you're a producing team and you're looking at and like the editors and looking at the overall film and going, would it just, would it help the smallest of audiences to have this in here? Maybe, probably. <laughs> um, and so like, if you can just kind of clue it, cause like you think of the, not to offend anyone, but the dumb people out there, um, that just would be like, what the hell is he talking about this gem? Like, I don't know where he got it, what it means, like how, like, cause he also, he also talks about how hard it was to get and how much it costs to get. 
or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, I, I think they wanted to just physically show that in the beginning. Do I think it could have been done in like some kind of gimmicky flashback? Probably, but I don't think it, it I think it helps being in there, but I don't think it helps as much to the point of how long the scene was and how much we sat in it. Okay. That I, I can, I can agree with that standpoint. We're not doing a very good a job at not agreeing. I know we're really getting, <laughs> but we'll, but we'll get to the point. Um, we both just hate confrontation so much. <laughs> no, here we go is, is the next one. Um, Howard, uh, disregarding his his uh, his gambling problem, disregarding everything else, he is a Jewish guy mm-hmm. that talks funny, likes drinking, mm-hmm. likes having sex, and screws over everybody in his life. He is the same character that Adam Sandler played in That's My Boy, but more gritty and more Jewish. This well, year. okay, okay, okay. You're okay. <laughs> when, you say, say, when you say excluding Burner everything up to be, I would be like, okay, yeah, I can believe that. When you're saying excluding everything else, you're taking away the parts of like the character that like separate it. Okay, so like I understand what you're saying at the at the bare essence of the character. Like, yeah, kind of. Um, so well, I mean, not, I, I'm going to get to that in a minute, but like, but I think like okay, so sure, get to that in a minute. But I think like stripping him of the things that like flaw him as a human being and like make him um, unlikable to people. But at the same time, which I can argue you root for him at the same time, um, like stripping him of those things. We'll talk about it. Stripping him of those things, uh, stripping him of those things. Like it's saying like, regardless of all this stuff that makes him like a, a, a more complex person, you're like, he is this bit character that he played in this movie with Andy Samberg, where he's a, a bad dad, which in essence, he's a bad father in the movie. So like, I understand what you're saying, but I think just taking those like elements away from him, it's like, well, well, yeah, I mean like every uh, actors have their, like have roots in their performance where they get stuff from. So like, I mean, I can get what you're saying, but when I, when you say taking away all this stuff, the only thing I'm taking away is a gambling addiction, which is, you said gambling and all the other stuff. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's, that's just me (laughs) taking away the gambling addiction. That's what he's left with. And like, sure. That is that's that's a big part of his character. I just think that's a very crappy crutch to lean on to I make think, him an interesting person. I don't necessarily. So I know, like in that's my boy, he's like an absentee father. I don't yeah. think in Uncut Gems he's an absentee father. No, 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 no. he's not an absent. He's not an absent. He was only an absentee father because he didn't know like his son was out there. Sure, and the, but then when he shows up, he's. I think he's. I think it's a it's a tamer version of that because like he know if you watch that movie. It, his if you watch uncut gems it boils down to he doesn't know how to interact with women okay yeah. and so like he doesn't know how to talk to his daughter he doesn't know how to talk to his wife okay and he just screws up both of those relationships but with his son until he takes his son into the apartment complex that he has this like weird burner apartment um he's got a pretty good relationship with his with his son like he's like he's it's not a bad really him and his son what did they talk like, about well, they talk about sports, but that's right, like- well, hang on, I'm, I'm I'm getting I'm getting there too. But um, my whole po- point is, if you take that's my boy, give Donnie Berger a uh, gambling addiction, you have Howard Ratner. You have the same character, and I think that is lazy writing. Um, I, I, no, sorry, I think that is poor writing for a character, given the drastic difference between those two movies plots and motivations i think that's bad writing well and that's my boy do we also see his interaction with like his his actual family not like his like wife and kids but like with his he doesn't have a family and that's my boy no i know but okay so but part of part of what makes uh howard ratner who he is 
is his interaction. Like the fact that he's being chased down by his own brother <laughs> for okay. money. Okay. And so like we're um, gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. Yeah, we're jumping but, ahead. But but I'm saying like as like the character is deeply more complex than just this guy who didn't realize he like impregnated a woman back in the day and is just a terrible person. Okay. Like Howard Ratner is actually like a garbage human. Like he's one of those people that you see that is, that is successful at what he can do. And like, yes, he's successful at gambling. Sure. He's got a gambling problem, but he finds, he finds his way out of holes all the time. And you see that throughout the entire movie but that even with stuff that doesn't have to do with gambling, there's stuff he just finds his way out of and can talk his way out of everything and just maneuver. And he's, he can move the chess pieces on the chessboard really well, but then it still ends up biting him in, in the butt because at the end of the movie, like he's moved one too many times and, and it ends up getting him dead. Spoilers. But um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that fully. I can see it, but I don't know if I agree with it. Okay, I have, I have refutations, but that's a, that's a further point. Number four is something that's like, it, it's it's a nitpick. I just thought it was really obnoxious watching it. I couldn't ignore it. Why was the weekend so important in this movie? Oh, I, don't, I never understood that. That was so, like, the I think very that was, first scene when, he, when they introduced Julie, she was like, the weekend was there. And I'm like, yeah, you're, this movie takes place in the late 2000s. 2000, this is funny. 2012 and he or was just like there so much. Why was the weekend yeah, I, so important? I don't... I really don't like I I could probably dig up some weird stupid reason for why he was there so much but it wouldn't hold much weight. I think I think he I think they emphasize him so much to really get you to understand the time frame which is terrible. <laughs> which is stupid because they literally base the movie off of the 2012 NBA Eastern Conference semifinals. Like that's a year, dude. That's a time frame. This whole movie takes place over like 2 weeks. It's yeah. so, like yeah. Everyone knows what time of year it is. And like, you don't need to have the weekend there all the time, which was odd. I think it's almost like the Adam Sandler, like knows the weekend. It was just like, yo, you want to be in this movie? Like, Honestly. Yeah. That was a weird part for me. I was like, why is he here? This is, it was, just, it, was, uh, it, was the, it was another one of those things. If you took it out of the movie, it would have had no impact. And it, but the fact that it was in the movie, I agree with made that. it worse. In I my think opinion. also like she could have just been like hooking up with some random dude at a club. She didn't have right, to be, didn't have to be the weekend. weekend. And didn't also like screw Howard Ratner. She didn't, she, I argue that she didn't love that guy at all. Like she didn't, she didn't love Howard Ratner. There's yeah. No their relationship confused me. I didn't understand why they were a th- like, what, he obviously wasn't rich. Like, well, he wasn't rich, but he definitely had more money than it showed. Yeah. Okay. But he, okay. Having money and being wealthy are two very different things. That's true. But I don't <laughs> so, think he was like, I don't think he was like, you know, I mean, he had an apartment in a house on long Island and like his, that's his fair, wife that's didn't work obviously. So, I think uh, I think he had more money than was let on. Yeah, Adina Menzel was also a weird choice for this for this role. I think she did fine, but like I liked her. I kind of liked her. I was like, it. why are you okay? Going into that, um, number five, you've said a lot about his his, his interactions with his family, um, and which yes, his his family was emphasized a lot in this movie, and um, with with the uh, with the interactions of like putting his son to bed and then watching sports with his other son, um, and then the. Uh, Passover dinner? What holiday yeah, was, was that? Pa- was Passover. It was Passover. Passover dinner with, with his whole family where he was doing the English. Um, his grandmother was doing yeah. the Hebrew or whatever. I and then, or his mom maybe. And then like the interaction, like you said, with his with his son when he had to use the bathroom. Um, at the end of the day, his, his family meant nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't. Like I understand what you're saying. Are you saying like, are you are you saying his like nuclear family, like his wife and kids, didn't matter? Well, no, I'm saying like for all the time that they spent in establishing that um, his relationship with everybody in his family and his um, 
his interactions and why they push, why he is pushed in one way or the other personally because of his interactions with them. Like, I don't think you, other than his brother-in-law, I don't think you saw any of them for the last 20 minutes of the movie, except for when she randomly like is in the last scene right after he dies. You don't see them. They're, they're, they're not important when they, when that was that scene at, at when he like had that ex- like nonverbal exchange with his son um, at the, at the dinner table, I'm like, Oh shit, he's going to die. Like they're like, they're going to go after his son. Mm. And then like, I was like, Oh, that that's, a, that's a great like point. Cause like, it could be a motivator and it could be a way for him to like, like uh, actually show some humanity and then just not like, it's not even that they didn't like explore it. It's not even that like they went after it and he didn't change, which also would have been a very good point. It's that nothing happened. I think, and uh, I, I think part of your distaste for this movie is the main character shows no change or transformation over time. No, I, 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 <laughs> I think based on what you just said is like they didn't like they, there was no reason for him to like r- realize the error of his ways because the character ultimately doesn't do that okay mm-hmm. he like ultimately doesn't understand that what he's doing is stupid bad for the people around him bad for the people he cares about um i think his family ultimately is super important because number one his family's the reason he gets killed <laughs> um his brother hires those hitmen because he's fed up that this guy hasn't paid him back and it's because he has this gambling addiction which you've said before that just having a gambling addiction isn't as interesting which i can understand i can totally get to being like oh this guy just has a problem with with gambling too much and trying to make it bigger and bigger i totally get that that that's kind of a weak like uh plot device but when you see how he's how it's affecting his father, when he forces him, when he basically coerces him into buying that like uh, that um, the gem at the auction for X amount of money, which like he should never have put it in the auction anyway because it's stupid. Um, when he like you know when he when when his brother basically hires those two goons and end up kidnapping him and like beating the crap out of him and then leaving him in the trunk of his car, you know when he um, has to bring his kid into this sketchy apartment, like basically they're they're just showing you over time just how bad like just how not even bad but just how crappy of an individual that he is, but at the same time they show him in an element with his family with his larger family that you some and you personally may not have but multi, many people ultimately felt with him because they're like he has this larger nuclear family that's clearly like cares about him and doesn't want to see him like go down this path because i don't know about you but if like i I don't think my family would want to see like me or any of my other like siblings or cousins go down a path of like extreme gambling and get involved with the wrong people um but i think that even though because the character himself doesn't recognize the error of his ways you feel this kind of sense of like well, Jesus, what, the, what was the point? Like, why? why? Like, why was this a thing? Like, d- did we learn anything? And I think the point is you learn from him not changing, but you have to see his relationships with all of his family members to understand that. Okay, remember when he goes into... Um, he goes into the room with his wife who's trying on the prom dress from high school. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she says to him, uh, so like, oh, I like, can't believe this still fits or whatever. And he sees her and he's like, immediately has this like, not nostalgia flashback, but it's basically like, I, like I'm done with the other girl. I'm done with, I'm done with this. I'm done with everything. But at the same time, like he's not, you know, and he's still like double and triple playing people. Uh, and the point, I think the point is because we see this relationship with all of his family members, we understand that he's never going to understand that what he's a bad person, that he's just blech, as a human. Um, but it's on us to understand and learn for ourselves that 
we have to recognize that there are ramifications to every little thing that we do, no matter how big or small it seems. And you have to be able to see that through the lens of people that you're closest with. I get, like, I think your analysis of that was very, was very profound. And I agree with what you're saying, but the way that the movie presented it, it doesn't, it felt like you came up with something that the people who wrote the script didn't, you know? Cause I, I think that was a very good, like, that was obviously like, I agree with everything you say in, in the concept of like the morality behind it. Mm. Like, but the movie just didn't show me that. Are you saying I, like, are you I, saying I like, a fe- I didn't get a feeling that his relationships with, with his family were, were driving anything. I think the fact that it's, I think the fact that he, like, like you said, played his father into going into the auction and he's lying to his wife and his basic is, is like abusing or abusing everybody, uh, like mentally abusing everybody is, important mm-hmm. but if that hadn't if that hadn't, hadn't been his father if it had been just like somebody he knew from from temple or something if it hadn't been his wife if it had been a girlfriend that he used to know like it wouldn't have changed and i think that the fact that the and it's not even the fact that there's no change it was the fact that there was no payoff because what you said about like the fact that the character doesn't change my biggest rebuttal to that is the entire captain america trilogy Steve Rogers is the same exact person at the very beginning of the mo- of the first movie to the very end of the third movie with bigger muscles. Almost the same exact person. Uh, but Captain America is inherently good, okay? Do- no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the, the character doesn't have to go through change to be, to like e- e- exemplify like a, a good arc, you know? Um, I'll, I'll say Jordan Belford in The Wolf of Wall Street. He was a scumbag at the beginning, a scumbag at the end, you know? Like, it's still a good movie. It's still a good arc for him to go through. Yeah. You know? I just don't think this was presented so, in such a way. So let, me, I, let me... Are you saying that the, the stakes weren't high enough? No, I'm saying that, like, ev- out of, off, after, like, the movie sent, spent so long building up all these relationships with all these people, it meant nothing in the end. And that's not inherently a bad thing, but the way it was presented was done poorly, in my opinion. Okay. I think, and we don't need to belabor this any longer, yeah. but I think that, I think that while you say, so are you saying there's no payoff because he just died and there's no resolution to any of these issues? Like, what do you mean by that? I'm saying there's no payoff because it doesn't drive him. The only thing, and this is kind of going into number six, the only thing that drives him is his greed, is his, um, is his, ability like you said to manipulate the people and talking his way out of situations but really just digging a deeper hole from him like it it doesn't if like it doesn't affect the character in my opinion i think if you completely rewrote every relationship that he had in his family the character as a whole wouldn't change that much uh two things number one i'm gonna say one thing and then i'm gonna go full nerd on you um so number one i thought the relationship with his wife was really weird um because like he was lying to her but like she knew he was lying and he knew that she knew he was lying but he still did it anyway and then she just kind of like knew about this apartment it was weird that whole situation was weird i don't think they unraveled that enough okay um number two did you ever read the awakening in high school the awakening no kate chopin uh okay so essentially uh this book is i hated this book but like i because just because the way it was written um, but essentially this woman is a, she's the wife of some, like, I, I forget if it's a plantation owner or some, some wealthy guy. She's basically a housewife in the 1800s, uh, in Louisiana, I think somewhere in the South. And 
essentially the whole book is her. It's the called the awakening because it's about her literal sexual awakening um, and, and falling in love with like women and stuff. But like she goes down this path where you see this relationship with her children, this relationship with the people closest to her it might not be her immediate, her blood family, but like people she considers really good friends. Um, and, you follow this plot line of like all these different relationships she has and how she manipulates people and doesn't give people the time of day and just wants what she wants for herself. And then ultimately becomes depressed and commits suicide. Um, and that's how the book ends. So like, there's no payoff there either. I don't think, but it's still regarded as one of the best books ever written. Um, and I think that it's just, it's, I see based on what you're saying, I see parallels to that where I'm like, I felt kind of like, well, what was the purpose of this whole book? But the whole purpose isn't necessarily what's the outcome. The whole purpose is like, how did they get there? And how do you as a human being understand the morality and move on from that? Okay. Just, just from that like quick synopsis of the book, what I'm understanding is she's going through and like, ends up alone, depressed, and, and uh, commits suicide. Obviously, something changed in her that would lead her to think that that was the option for her, you know? Well, but the, the whole, I mean, and the, the, the greater context is that the question is, how was she depressed the whole time? Because there are signs in the beginning that she felt that way. Um, but you can make the argument that this guy just doesn't understand like how he's affecting everyone else around him. And she in the book didn't understand how she was affecting everyone. And I'm else not arguing that that's not the case. I'm arguing that that's not interesting. <laughs> I'm arguing that's not a good character written character. That's your opinion. It is my opinion. That's what I'm I think. You. I think, I think Howard Ratner was a, was I think he was well-written based on those around him. I think if we had less screen time, I think if the movie was a little shorter, I would agree with you that it's not that good. But because I see enough of the other characters around him that are like, bro, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, I don't think it's, it's, I don't think they hammer it home too much in, in, in that regard where they're just like, you're a bad person. Like they're not just like, you're evil uh, because he's not, he has like, he has a morality clause within him. Like he wants to, he doesn't want to be better, but he knows that he should be because of his duty. You know what I mean? So like, okay. yeah. We can, okay. I, I see where you're coming from. I, I still don't entirely agree. Let's just go to the last thing that I did not like about this movie. And we've kind of touched on it a few times. I don't like the ending and the reasons why are because, well, obviously no payoff, no, no, nothing that was set up was, was brought to a resolution. And then a story doesn't need resolution. I, I don't think a story needs like a fully like set out resolution in the same way that when spoilers, I guess when Rob dies at the red wedding, he didn't have any re resolutions to his, uh, his arc, but it was still a good, I mean, I guess you can count the fact that he married the woman, a resolution. Catelyn didn't have a resolution, but it was still like a good story point. What I'm saying is his brother didn't, why did he kill him? Because I understand that he was frustrated with him, but he just made big and was going to get his money back. Um, the girlfriend, uh, Julie, was her name? Um, like, which was her first movie, by the way, that actress. <laughs> which like, I get like, why did they play that little like fake death when that dude like walked out with her money? I was like, oh crap, he killed her. But then he's like, oh, here you go. And I think, I think that was truly for effect. I think that, that was, was just for, uh, ooh, switcheroo. Yeah. And that was stupid. <laughs> like, why would you, why would you do that if in two seconds you're going to play it off? And also like, did she know that he was going to die? Is she just going to run off with the money? I don't know. Um, the wife, did she know anything about what was going on? Probably not. When's she going to find out? It was just way more. It was an, an editing that subverted expectations in a bad way. 
Um, I, so to answer your question about why did he kill him, I think, so you said that he just clearly won big. Yeah, but he's shown a repeated history of trying to take what he made big and make it bigger. So that way he always makes money and makes a ton of money off of okay. his bets. So I, I think that the guy was like, screw this. We can easily find the girl because like, it's not that it's not that difficult to track down a naive, like person um that she was were you about to you about to do some misogyny there uh a little bit and then i caught myself um but <laughs> just essentially just like naive like that, that girl was pretty naive about this guy's relationship with these people she was an idiot but um and, and so that, that's that 7.5 that scene where he was hiding in her closet that was gross oh it was, god it was, was such an uncomfortable I, I remember sitting next to michael watching this movie and being like oh, me and joe like were this. like it's two in the afternoon why are we yeah, watching i was like Ugh. <laughs> and then i watched it with my mother and forgot that scene existed and then as soon as it happened i was like oh no <laughs> um so that's i think that's probably why they killed him because he was like enough of this we can find the girl he's he can't bet anymore and lose this money whatever because the guys are promised payment too obviously right okay. i can i can um, get behind that so that makes i think that makes sense that, that can be inferred i think your questions about like does she keep the money does she even know he's gonna die etc i think but that's part of that's part of the point about like sudden death is that like it just kind of happens and i i understand what you're saying about how like it just comes out of like it's like a, a crazy ending for a crazy ending purpose but um i think it's a, a pretty honest story about like an honest ending about like some guy that tries to thinks he's really good at playing his hand and tries to do it too many times and ends up paying the price for it um and it's just, I think what they wanted to show was that Howard was finally in control. And he was like, I got it. I know what's going to happen. I pulled this off. I did it. And even at that, someone still was able to play him. So he wasn't as good as his game as he thought he was. Um, and I think that's just like one of the things about death is like, if it comes out of nowhere, well, how do the pieces get picked up? How do we move on? How do we know? And I think, you know, like for people we know in the past week, it's the, the similar situation. So like, how do you, how do you like just suddenly figure it all out, make sense of it and move on? You don't. Um, do I think that they could have made a better job of you feeling for him and wanting him to succeed so that the death makes you feel a little sad? Sure. But I think the movie does an okay job of getting you there. That's all I will say on the ending. I, my whole thing is I will compare it to two other pieces of media um, in, in, in the subverting expectations in subverting expectation ways. Uh, if you look at Avengers Infinity War, um, mm. I talked with Joe at length about this. The whole movie is like, like Thanos is the protagonist of the movie by every definition. Yep. Um, he has a goal. He sets out to do the goal. And right when in any other movie, any other superhero movie, Thor would have stopped him from bleeding his goal. He did it. He did it. He won movie ended with happy Thanos and sad, sad uh, superheroes. Nobody thought knew that was coming. Nobody walked into that theater thinking half of the planet's going to die. Half of the universe is going to die. Thanos is going to win and our heroes are going to lose. Nobody thought that. That was a great way of subverting expectations. Game of Thrones season eight, episode three. When the Night King is walking in slow motion to kill Bran and Arya jumps out of the ground to kill him. Terrible way of subverting expectations because there was no setup. There was no uh, payoff. And it was just like, I guess it's over now. Bad boy of subverting expectations. And I would relate hmm. Hector dying to that happening because technically, like the setup, however you want to think it was, the setup was there, quote unquote, but the lack of payoff on it and the actual resolution of it was just so empty 
that it left me wanting everything else. Uh, okay, so real quick, I don't think there's supposed to be a payoff or a resolution necessarily. I think it's just like, oh, Jesus, he died. Okay. Uh, should, dang. All right. And look, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that. I'm saying yeah. that that's a I bad think, way think, of writing a movie. Sure. But I think also, like, to your credit, uh, Infinity War superhero movie like movies like with that kind of arc have been you've been predispositioned to like you've been um you've been trained to say okay this is how this movie is supposed to end so like it was a pretty easy way of them going like all right well you can just kill everyone and then we have a part two coming out a year later so like uh, like i think in the moment everyone was like jesus he actually did that like oh my god um and i think you're right it's a good way to subvert expectations but it's based on stuff you've already seen previous you've already seen the way it should end beforehand the way like the the common way of doing it uncut gems isn't a movie like that so like it's not it's not necessarily going to follow that that story arc um and then with that with the night king I remember when when that happened and we were in the same room and I was like, what was the point of the Night King being around? I can see a point for, for not Hector, uh, Howard. <laughs> um, I, I, I call him Hector again. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I can see a point for, um, for Howard being around, but not the Night King. The Night King we learned nothing about and then they just killed him and that was it. And the real villain was Cersei the whole time. And I was like, okay, that's dumb. I agree with you that that was a stupid way of killing off people. Um, and proof that the writers of Game of Thrones needed source material. So, haha, ha uh, your heart out, D&D. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think that, like, the Night King had absolutely no purpose in being in that show at all, other than being like, he's evil, um, and then just dying, and we never learned anything about the White Walkers or him or anything. So I don't necessarily agree fully, but I understand where you're coming from. Okay. Just as a whole. I didn't like it. You did. It, I liked it. Go watch it. It's on Netflix. Don't watch it. It's wasted two and a half hours of your time. You Anyways. Like watch and leave comments in the comments. Yeah, the comments on, on uh, Spotify. Spotify, yeah. the comments. Re- Real cool. Cool. Okay. Well, hopefully that satisfied some people who think we agree too much because that was some good discourse. That was a good, that was a good like 35, 40 minutes on us yeah. arguing with each other. Cool. So let's get into the, for our last segment something that we'll probably have a decent amount of agreements on. Avatar, The Last Airbender, oh, baby. Book 3, Fire. Uh, which as was, we always which was, do, oh, which was fire, by the way. Uh, next week on Quarter Life Crisis episode, or podcast, I will have a new co-host. Um, <laughs> uh, Hunter, as we always do. Well, first of all, spoiler alert: if you haven't watched it, Hunter, what questions you got? Um. Well, so okay, so does the Legend of Korra? Who? What? What person does that follow? Legend of Korra picks up about 70 years after um, Avatar The Last Airbender. Korra is the new Avatar that is reincarnated after Aang passes away. Okay. Because, I I mean, I don't understand. Like, I, I understood, like, the ages of all the characters. Like, all the principal characters. They were all, like, 12 and then became, like, 13 by the end of it. I think Zuko was a tad older. But... Yeah, Zuko was, like, 16, I think, at yeah. the beginning. But I think it was... First of all, I really liked Zuko and May's relationship. I thought that that made the most sense out of anyone that he was going to be with. Um, and then they tried to pull that Katara stuff, and I was like, "Yeah, Zutara no, no. shippers are the worst." I, I was hate like, them. No, 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 I no, no. It. I was like, "Do not do this." I was I like, "That'd be it. the most toxic relationship of all time." Um, but so I, I think that I, I'm kind of confused about how old all the adults are because, like, Aang and Katara are just like hooking up, and so are Sokka and um, and uh, what's her face? Um, oh. Yeah, Sokka and Suki, and I'm like, aren't you guys like 12? And now you found like mates for life. Like, what is happening? So, okay, so um, at the at, in the episode, I think our uh, Ang is 12, 
Katara is 14. Sokka is 16. Is he really? Uh, yeah, Sokka's older. Um, I think. Maybe Sokka's like 15. I don't know. I think... I mean, still, that's... I know he's older than Katara, and I know Katara is 14. That's older than he looks. Um, Toph is either 11 or 12, and Azula is 14. Um, okay. So, like, they're not that, like, old... But I, mean, I always they're... thought it, I always thought Azula was older. Yeah, no, no, Azula is the younger sister. But like Joe and I have, Joe and I have uh, have uh, decided that the the different ages are infant, young child, um, fully grown adult, and old person. Those are the only four I, yeah. <laughs> four yep. ages in Avatar. Yeah, like because because I was like these people are just like full on like making out on the camera, and I was like, aren't you guys like technically the equivalent of a sixth grader right now? <laughs> like this is kind of weird, but I guess yeah, it's also dude, like you just different... make it out with the moon when you were in sixth grade. Dude, I wish I was. That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, this that was one question I had. Um, another question I had was like, I th- okay, so I thought that the relationship between Aang and Zuko was played out really well. At the end, like that, like it, it was just I, I, I bought into it about them becoming more friends, um, and it was an interesting parallel between uh, Avatar, Roku, and Fire Lord. Was it Ozai, right? So they were or Sozin. Um, and I, I was like, ooh, interesting parallel. I like this, and I also like that I called that that Zuko like wasn't fully evil. It's the biggest red herring of all time. Yeah, nothing, nothing gets by <laughs> him, you, dog. Him, him being evil in the first season, I was like, Meh, okay. I was like, once they're introducing other evil people, I was like, Zuko about to flip. He's gonna do it. Um, and even after Bossing Say, when he turns on his uncle, I was like, he's not gonna feel good about this. Um, so I was glad that I called that. Um, I don't know if I had really many questions. I think they they tied everything up pretty nicely. It was one it was one of the better endings to a series that I've seen in a while. Word. Um, I thought that that four part finale was dope. Yeah, it was the, fina- the finale is cool. so like the animation was crazy. I was oh, like, yeah. this is nuts. Um, I know we we don't have to talk about Azula going nuts because we already talked about that the other day. Um. Well, our, our listeners haven't heard it. I don't know. I just that well, was. The, I, I have I have my talking points. If you if you want, that was the one gripe I had with the ending. I was like, I, I understand why she I, and I saw the seeds coming, and I was like, she's gonna go like full nuts. Like she's gonna go absolutely insane. Um, but I thought the the way she just flipped the switch was like, <laughs> yeah, shut up. Um, the way the way just she snapped, I was like, I don't know if I buy that necessarily because like she went from like just seemingly. Like, yeah, she was betrayed by her friends. Yes, her father said you can't go on this journey. Yes, she had that vision of her mother. And, like, those are a lot for a 14-year-old girl. And I think that's what I have to remember is that, like, she's only, like, you know, an early teenager. But, she, and she's got the pressure of, the like, the Fire Nation on her shoulders. But, like, I wish I would have seen her, like, like dissolve a little more into the madness a little bit than suddenly just, like, getting, you know, hit a couple of times or, like, seeing Zuko in that, like, rumor they have that big, uh, what is it, Agni Kai? Mm-hmm. They have the Agni Kai, and she just, like, suddenly just, like, is, like, ripping her hair out and, like, trembling and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, this, this can be... We could have gotten here a little smoother, but I understand for time purposes why it happened the way it happened. Well, I thought about some more after we talked about it. And first of all, still a better arc than uh, Danny. Um... <laughs> Dan Daenerys. Oh, oh yeah, easy, easy. Yeah. Um. So the more I, the more I thought about it, the more like I I came to the realization that now that Azula, well, like you're right, uh, the only two people that quote liked her in her life uh, betrayed her. Mm-hmm. Um. The whole thing that I realize it as is once she is anointed Fire Lord, once she's told that she will be be um the coronation or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. 
she has nothing left. She, her I whole anything else. her whole life was motivated by obtaining power by uh, proving that she was better than those around her. Mm-hmm. And once she is told, you're the fire lord, you're going to rule the fire nation while I go do my thing. What's left? Fun, she's lost all direction. Yeah, I, And she I, starts I, to th- think about how I got here, what I, what's led up to this, what it was all worth, what did it cost essentially, and it drives her nuts. I think, and I think that's fine. That's a, I would agree with Ooh. you on that explanation. But I don't think we saw enough of her, like, and watching someone just think is boring. But I don't think we saw enough instances before she finally, like, went crazy about, like, because, well, like, she went absolutely nuts. Okay. I also, like, th- I also think there was some, there was some, exp- like, you can tie it back to the beach episode where it shows that she was so oh. poor at, in, like, at mm-hmm. existing in normal life that she realized that she could never do it again. So it, it, I think the seeds are there, but you've got to yeah, like. Look I, would, I think harder. okay. I forgot about that episode, which that's a great episode. Come on, man. Oh, it's a it's really good, but I like forgot about that in context of like the larger war that's going on and like what it represents. So yeah, I, this whole thing is just like Fire Nation again. Think that they're chilling. I can buy it, but I just would. I wish that I would have seen. A, I think I wanted a slower descent into that, but like I under. It's okay. It's fine. Whatever. Okay. Um. So we can t- type that off of my talking points. So I've got a few more since it's the last season. Uh, first of all, I, this is something that you had a problem with at the beginning. Aang and his staying hidden. This is really only an issue uh, in the first episode, but it was something that you didn't that you kind of had a problem with. What do you mean? Well, you told me that he was kind of being whiny when when he couldn't show that the Avatar was still alive. Oh, no, 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 no. I wasn't... Are you saying... Oh, in the first episode of Book 3? No, I was saying that he was being, like... He, since... Based on what I, like, meant, he has since, like, redeemed himself in that aspect. But when he... When season... When Book 3 starts, and he's, like, just lucky to be alive, <laughs> he's, like, a complete a-hole to all of us. It's not because... He, I didn't see it as he can't... Sh- like, not because he can't show himself. I understand why you'd be frustrated about that. That makes sense. But, like... They're both like everyone in his in his company is like, bro, you're lucky to like not be dead right now. And like I had to use this like special water to make sure that you don't die. And he's just like acting like this brooding, angsty piece of crap for like a couple episodes. And I'm like, bruh, like and you, you're to your point was like he just died. I'm like, yeah, I don't care who you are. If you have a near death experience, you're going to be like, well, thank God I'm alive. Now, what do I do? But like that's always in the back of your mind. So like if I'm lucky to just not be dead and away from my friends and like just the whole world was riding on me, but now I'm just toast. And now the world has to wait X amount of years for the next avatar to really like fix it. I, um, I don't know. I thought that he was a little too angsty for that. And, but then he, he turned it around and fixed. I forget which episode it was. I think it was, I forget which episode it was, but he, cause I finished it a week ago now. Um, but he like, he, he turned it around and like got better. And I was like, okay, all right. Like I, this is fine. He was, I think he was just being super moody for, whatever reason but i think at the time that i I was like bro you are lucky to be standing and breathing well the whole point of it was that when he woke up after a hundred years at like people that he ran into basically told him like you failed us you ran away and you screwed us and this is your fault like why would you do this so he had this whole notion that he failed the people of the world he failed to it was his fault that the war raged on as long as it did. So when he died, 
when he when the world thinks he's dead in the back of his mind he's thinking i failed the world again and i could have prevented it and this was once again my own fault there was a lot more than just i died and i glad i'm alive it was it was this is something that is my responsibility and i screwed it up again you know yes but there's a difference because of the first time he made the choice to leave and made that choice to leave, and then he got you know you know trapped in that storm and had to like put himself into the ice essentially um and i understand i i i that's like his personal choice to leave and just ditch the people because he wasn't like ready mentally okay so like people of course they're going to give him crap for it which like whatever like that guy could like incinerate you if he wanted to but he doesn't need to um but the second time around like he was doing everything he could and given that his own like his own pride his own feeling and I have to remember this is a 12 year old kid we're talking about. So like me as like a 22 year old, I was like, okay, well if I were in this position at my age, then I would like have this experience and be like, Oh, I'm just lucky to be alive. Let's move forward. But that's me thinking at it from my brain power, like my stance right now. But like if I, I got to think if I were 12 and I like had you were 12 and the fate of the universe was on your shoulders. Yeah. But I don't know if that difference between when the stakes are this high, when you have this much responsibility, is it really better to try and fail than to run away? Cause in Ang's eyes, it's not. If he, in Ang's eyes, it's sure. worse. Sure. But I, I still think it's, it's inherently different because one, he chose to run away and not help. And then the other one, he was helping. And I understand how that failure can make you upset. But I think the, the number one thing overall else is that like, okay, well I can try again. Like I have the opportunity to do so. You know what I mean? And like that wasn't, I don't think that was shown enough. Well, the the thing is, he he's like, I'm back. I can prove it, and this is how I'm going to prove it. And he tries to gung-ho jump into it when everybody else is saying, you don't need to do this. And he's saying, yes, I do, because I'm the friggin' avatar. You know? It's that sense of responsibility weighing over him that, he one, he felt he failed, and two, since he didn't absolutely fail, he needs to prove that he's going to be successful. So it, it, there's a lot more riding on it than... than no, I, I guess, but I think also the other thing about it is the, like the the i think one of the morals of the story is that like you can be as powerful as you are but you still need help um and you still like you can't do it all on your own like you're gonna need assistance a little bit and that kind of like die that kind of that kind of way of portraying ang in the beginning of book three kind of gets him there and is like okay i can't do this solely on my own like yes he defeats the fire lord by himself but he needs help from his like allies and friends all around him at all like in most battles he can't do it all by even though he can master all four elements he still needs he needs people by his side essentially and i think that's one of the morals by by the show is that you can't be you can't be alone in life you can't do things by yourself you're just never going to work um so i can understand how that got them there but i i was like i think i didn't buy it as much where i was like this guy's just being kind of an ass <laughs> like you i mean you just you just exactly explained what the what the conflict of the first three episodes were so anyways okay yeah, I, yeah. We're, we're never gonna get out of that um next i want to see what you thought about soccer in this season because you are not the biggest soccer fan i'm still not the biggest soccer fan oh my god you just how I, I was talking to Tyler about this for a long time last night. Um, let me see if I can find what we talked about. I, I don't understand. I can understand why you hated him in book one because you're supposed to hate him in book one. And then book three, I was like, okay, like I can I get it, I guess. But the, oh, come on, man. Hold on. Let me. Um, 
so I, I said that, well, Tyler said that his development, he didn't really have much character development until the Swordmaster episode when is like his character development is literally him going, oh, guys are about equal to women, which like is a good thing to, to portray and tell young audiences like, hey, like people are equal and should be. Um, and I was like, yeah, like Sokka's purposes were really just like, hey, women are good too. And I don't understand it, but I'm going to go along with it. Um, and I've already told you, I think even for a, like the, the TV rating for the show is Y7, which can be like, I don't know, seven to like 12 ish is like what it's aimed at. Kids aren't that stupid that like, they don't need to be that told on the nose that someone is either super brilliant or super dumb. Like he's just, he like stuff he says is just like, he just serves to be either comedic relief because he's an idiot or he comes in the clutch in the last minute because he understands something about like like intelligence and strategy that somebody else doesn't understand. Um, and I'm like, like Sokka just, he just doesn't do it for me. I think he just like, he, he tries to, and I understand why he tries so hard. I get it because he wants to prove himself because his dad is this big, cool, like warrior who went off to war and is like, he's trying to live up to that mantle. But I don't know. I th- he just, I think his best moments are with Suki. I think his best moments are, um, that the episode where he talks to Toph about Katara and saying like, Hey, like I understand what you, what you, what you're think what you're feeling about her. I totally understand uh, why you are displeased with her, but like, look, here's why she's super good. That was, I think Sokka's best episode in the entire series because you saw, you saw him understanding the humanity of somebody else that he even disagrees with all the time that he's like, he's like, bro, like Katara pisses me off like 24 seven. And I don't agree with everything. All most things she says, but at the end of the day, she's going to make sure we don't get killed and that we can survive on the day to day. And I think that that was like a good moment for Sokka because you saw like the other, you saw a, um, a more complex side of him, which is like, here's somebody that I don't really like. I kind of disagree with. Um, and, you know, as a sibling, I meant to like rib her, but also be there for her. But he like straight up took it on himself to say, I need to stand up for this, for, for my sister. And I need to stand up for the cause that we have. I think he showed more promise towards the end of the season when he's like, oh, we should rescue my father. We should rescue these people. I can lead this charge in battle. And like, that's fine. But I think it wasn't enough to really like make me turn around on Sokka because I was like for two, two, for two seasons, I was like, bruh, can you please just pick one or the other? I was like, I understand why you're funny. I understand like why you are good at battle because of who your dad is. But I'm like, Jesus, please just like stop being so like stop being so like two-faced essentially like be more deep than that and i think in the last half of book three we get there but it's not enough for the first two and a half books i genuinely don't know what else you could be asking for as soon as the the master the sword master episode on that socket oh i don't i don't understand what you're what more you're looking for in that well that's what i think like the two episodes the boiling rock are peak socket you know that that, that's exactly who we spoke the a major strategist, still kind of a goofball, but still can get stuff done when he's got the opportunity to do it. Him and Zuko working together, I wish we had seen more of them because that was that was so that was so on the on point as to exactly what Sokov always has always wanted to be. It's oh god. Which, I which don't episode remember. which episodes were the Swordmaster one? Which which one was that? It was episode five, I think. That okay. was the when he got the meteor sword. Okay. So I liked that episode for him. And then I think a couple episodes after that, I was like, all right, well, we're back to, we're back to regular soccer. What I'm saying is, is I think that 
the the writing turned him around towards the end of the series, like towards the latter half of book three. But it wasn't enough to just be like, holistically, when I look at Sokka, I'm not just going to look at a half of one season. I'm going to look at everything I know about him. And I'm like, mm, sorry, it just wasn't there for me. I just, not my type of character. I was like, you need to, you need to have a little bit more of a complexity to you. That complexity has been shown since the first episode, dog. I don't know what else you could be asking for. I don't think so. Genuinely don't know what else you could be asking for. Okay. Um, next, I just, uh, I just want to hear your opinion on how dope bloodbending is. Bro. <laughs> that messed crazy. <laughs> that episode, and I, when, I, when I finally got the hint that we were going there, I was like, okay, so this crazy woman in the woods is going to teach Katara bloodbending. And the fact that she was like kidnapping people and like, the fact that you make them do whatever you want based on like moving the water and their blood. I was like, it's scary, Whoa. man. It's scary. I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And then she, Katara uses it on a couple of people. And I was like, damn. I was like, Jesus. That's crazy. Nope. Well, I mean, you're not going to watch Korra, are you? I might. I don't know. Uh, Probably, not. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. Well, the main, you know how uh, Aang takes away um, uh, Ozai's firebending? Yeah. The main villain in the first season of Korra has the ability to do that. Like it show he's like he's like leading this um this equalist gang uh basically non benders like rising up against benders saying that they're treated mm-hmm. like garbage and all this stuff because they can't can't bend and um everyone's like wondering like how does he have this ability what can he do blah 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 and it like turns out that he's a bloodbender and can like block the chi in somebody's brain and like take away their bending it's nuts like bloodbending is scary dude bloodbending. That was a nutty episode. When you like watch the like when you watch cool. them like writhe around and like do what you say, I was like, jeez. And the, I think I texted you guys this, but when she says that like uh, she the old woman talks about how rats are like just like sacks with fluid or something like that, I was like, Jesus. I was like, is that how you look at people? I was like, good God. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oof. Okay. Um, and finally, the final battle: Ang versus the Fire Lord. In my opinion, one of the best like infinite like Endgame. Who? One of the best final battles I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, I think they also had the, you know, the help of the fact that they didn't need real people to do it. But I mean, <laughs> um, you know how much CGI was in that movie? Um, yeah, but, I know, but like, you still can't make like you anyways physically anyways. But, but. Um, I want to know what you feel because there, it was a little bit of a contention among the fans. I want to know how you feel about the resolution being that he took away his bending. Well. I think like so the the whole premise of the show before we get to this rendition of like this this avatar era when it's like um when it's Aang as the avatar it's like okay well why is Aang important like why like why like yeah he's the last airbender yes he's got to defeat the fire lord those are all important reasons but like why don't we see you know why why are we looking at this avatar specifically you know what i mean um and like so there's got to be some other element no pun intended but there's got to be some other element to him that makes him yeah that makes him um like more standout than the others. And I think it's the fact that like his morality clause says, I can't kill people. Like I'm not going to do it and I want to And this. Like I, I agreed with it and I understood like, yeah, you shouldn't like the answer isn't killing somebody. Um, and it never is, but like the fact that he stood so rigid to it. I was like, can we please move on from this figure out the way I want you to do it. Just don't kill him, figure it out. Um, and the fact that like there was so much emphasis on like, um, I I called it in my brain from the beginning of the season when they kept showing the uh like the injury on his back 
all the time. They kept making sure to show it at least like once an episode so that you would remember that it was there. And I was like, this has to mean something down the line. Um, and then uh, eventually like, I was like, so his defining thing is that he understood what like no avatar or maybe avatar, maybe they have, but he just didn't know. Like no previous avatar in the first couple before him could understand it's like, there is a there is a higher element to the fact that you can just bend all the elements, okay? And like there is an idea that you that there is a like a higher power that you can access um, in order to defeat evil. And I think that that's a, it was a really smart way of doing it because I was like, how el- how else do you not kill the Fire Lord? I was like, he's super evil, and like you need to get rid of him. I thought it was a smart way. I thought it was a, a nice way of getting around like this fact that the Fire Lord is an evil piece of garbage. Um, and like, cause if you just lock him up, he can easily get out at some point. Like it's not hard. Um, and I thought it I thought it was a, a clever and unique way of being like, Oh, Aang is the most, like is one of the most important avatars cause he understood it. And, uh, we didn't have to kill someone in the kid's show. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think the most interesting thing I've ever seen pointed out about the, about the final fight one, I, I, I don't like how the one thing I don't like about it is that, um, he gets thrown into the avatar state because the spot on his body where his chakra was blocked was randomly hit little, little bit happenstance. I can understand why they moved it. I like, it was fine. I, I can of get course over it. He, of course you knew it was important because they yeah, kept showing it all season. Exactly. I can get over it. Um, somebody pointed out that, um, like obviously in, in the final fight, Ang is the protagonist. Ozai is the antagonist. Easy. Once he enters the avatar state, it's now that Aang is the protagonist, but the Avatar state is the antagonist because Aang's whole motivation is to defeat the Fire Lord without killing him. It's his whole motivation. But the Avatar state, once he goes into it, Aang loses himself a little bit and very mercilessly is going to murder Fire Lord Ozai. Yeah. Like up until the very last point before Aang takes con- back control of his body, he was, yeah, he, he was gonna die. Yeah. And finally Aang was able to overcome like the, the spiritual side of it and and be the powerful avatar that he knew he was gonna be. Right. Do energy bending and and get to the resolution. Yeah. So in conclusion, best one of the best TV shows, definitely the best cartoon ever made. Um watch Great. it if you haven't, even though we spoiled everything, it's still worth watching. Um, and I'm probably going to watch it five or six more times over the next few months. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. I liked it a cool. lot. On a scale of one to 10, what'd you, what do you give it? Probably give it an eight. Okay. Okay. I can give take that. Eight. It was I can, I like that. the story, the story, it was, it was well done. Nope. You, I, said the, I said the story was well done. Okay. Perfect. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, this is going about an hour and 10 minutes. So Hunter, why don't you, uh, we segment it on into crisis averted and tell me who you're sending some love to today. Um, oh, well, um, I'm trying to think the world's pretty much in a, in a stagnation, but I'm sending all of my love and court and crisis averted to, uh, all of my friends out there that are out protesting, um, be safe. Um, know that what you're doing is worth, um, and you are good people to society for it. So all, all of my friends that are standing up for injustices, uh, I appreciate you and hope that you do it safely. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Um, I would love to shout out um, my fellow and former uh, Images Tour Guides. You guys are an amazing organization. You know exactly why. Um, make me very proud to be in your ranks and uh, keep doing amazing things. Um, but other than that, that's all I got. Hunter, any last words? I love you all. And with that, uh, like I said, next episode, I will have a new co-host to Hunter. Any oh, final words up. for our viewers? <laughs> 
my final words are still i love you all okay perfect. you are, they're listeners derek well whatever our patrons <laughs> who, who the heck cares anyways uh for episode 19 of quarter life crisis i have been derek along here with hunty wishing you an excellent day goodbye Bye. <laughs>